Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to What's Important Now, the podcast from the United States Border Patrol Academy, where we talk about things that matter to the men and women of the United States Border Patrol, their families, and those we serve. Now, speaking of that, when you join the Border Patrol, we say that it's more than just a federal organization. We say that it is, in fact, a green family. And when you answer that calling to serve and you sign on the dotted line, you don't just do that for yourself. You do that for your loved ones, your family that come along on this great journey with you. And that's true for the military. That's true for other law enforcement organizations. So I wanted to provide you with a good example of that. I have two special guests today, and one you will recognize immediately is a former retired chief of the Border Patrol, director of ICE, Deputy Commissioner CBP, Ron Vitello, who is normally the center of attention. Today, that's not the case. Today, he brought along with him his best friend and his partner of over 33 years, his wife, Nuri Vitello. I'd like to introduce you to the Vitellos, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Chief. Thank you for having us. Second time around, at least officially on the podcast, but you're you're regular visitors here at the Academy. You stay connected with us, and, and we're very thankful for it. And I'm glad to have you again. You just uh, you did the, the patch run with Class 1161 that you've been mentoring. Got a chance to uh, take part in that today. And, and actually, Nuri, you had a chance to, to talk to Class 1174, Thank which you. was 1,000 classes crazy, after huh? Chief Patella went through in Class 174. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Thank, thanks for having us. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to be a mentor for 1161. Um, and being on the first patch run, I, I, it was a very meaningful um, you're, you and your staff have really done something special to fortify the the reverence that we care about this uniform and the patch that's on it. And seeing it in person today was just really special. So thanks. Well, and we were honored to have you. And, and I'll, of course, I'm biased toward the, uh, the the men and women that work at this academy and the job that they do. I, I'm in awe every time they, they up the game. And, it, and you guys see that, I'm sure, as well. Absolutely. So, Nuri, today's going to be about you. Okay. So let's let's talk about this for a second. 33 years of marriage in the law enforcement profession. Yeah. I don't want to say that's unheard of, but that is a very special and rare thing indeed. And I want to talk to you about, number one, what that's been like, and then I want to get some tricks of the trade. I want yeah. to get some secrets of, of, of the game. So let's let's take everybody back to when Ron Vitello signed on the dotted line and decided to go to the uh, Border Patrol Academy, hit the field in Laredo, mm-hmm. and then let's talk about how you met this young lady. Oh. Yeah, so I, I started <laughs> I started in the Border Patrol in, in Laredo. Um, I EOD'd in February, went through the academy, and got there uh, early summer. Mm-hmm. Um, was probably working there eight or nine months before we met. And, um, you know, we met at, uh, well, we well, we first met sort of informally. We were at a coffee shop, and she was with another young lady, and I was with a couple agents, and we started talking across the booth how you do you know meet people and around two in the morning <laughs> <laughs> and um one thing led to another and just the typical like um sitcom or border patrol s- story um the journeyman i was with was like hey if you don't get that girl's number you know we're we're not going to look very highly upon you and so and what did you think it wasn't my number it was her friend's it was, <laughs> oh. her, it was her buddy's number <laughs> and what I didn't know, and maybe my partner did, she certainly did, that the, the got the phone number. Uh, I made arrangements to go out with her. And in, on one of the events, that I think it would have been our second time going out, she introduced me to Nuri at a, at a, at a different club. Okay. At a, at a, at a, so, you, so you met Nuri, and, and what, were you, what was your first impression? 
Um, I felt like we sort of had a connection. It was very special. I, I won't say love at first sight, but I was very interested in, in her and sort of the way she carried herself, um, the way she articulated things, and you know, she was smoking hot, too. That helps. Did you forget I did a dance that night, too, and you saw me? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so, Nurse, so when here you have this gentleman that comes right. up, and, and he's, he's interested and starts talking to you. What did you think of Ron? Um, he was the tallest guy in Laredo, very handsome. <laughs> uh, he, like he was with a friend of ours, right? And um, just it wasn't. We just thought he was just so nice. And um, he met my sister, my brother, and myself. We were all going to Laredo Junior College there, mm -hmm. and because they had import and export, which is what we were studying. So when Ron was leaving, he said, "Hey, let's get together." I, you know, I don't know many people my age. I'd like to do stuff with you all, and he invited us over to his house for spaghetti dinner mm -hmm. and that's how we started we started to meet and um i used to do fashion shows back in the day in laredo mm -hmm. and we were having a really big one at roxy's nightclub back in the day mm -hmm. and uh, i reached out to him to see if he would be one of our models um and he was available you know but he's like why me and i thought oh he's just a cocky guy i'm not just just major like no not interested but we didn't need male moss because like, you have the right height oh can you come pick me up i was like wow this is like he really thinks everyone does everything for him mm. so i kind of pushed that aside already just because i didn't really know him but just i wasn't getting that good feeling like this guy probably is used to everyone dropping all over him and i don't want to <laughs> so do that us so. having to win over uh, our spouse uh -huh. at the beginning is, is an all too common story right we usually have to prove ourselves right and so this sounds like it was no different right <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay. yeah and i mean it, he did make dinner for us and he was nice and at the end of the of the fashion show he asked me out um i found out later that everybody thought we were already together because of the way he was looking at me or the way he would talk the to way me. he's looking at you now right <laughs> <laughs> um uh, and that we went out that night and we've been together ever since like we saw each other every day if whether if he was working before or after um now you told me earlier you said uh, you were told that that men like that don't exist when did you have that epiphany about him oh gosh i'm gonna say it took a while he had to mm -hmm. deal with a lot of insecurities it's taken mm -hmm. it's been quite a journey and hey when you leave and oh is that going to be for the other wife you know, we always had those conversations, and he was always saying, what are you talking about? Where are you, where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here. And it was just my own insecurities. And in our own relationship, as we talk, that would be his number one. Like, it's when we do that list, right? That list when your spouse says, let's make a list. And then we promise not to get upset, and we promise to listen. And then we're like, what? <laughs> so I, prom number one was the insecurity uh, of that. But I remember calling my best friend when Ron proposed to me and that I was going to get married. And her first reaction was, you know what the divorce rate for is for law enforcement? Mm. And I didn't know that because I didn't know anything about law enforcement. Nobody in my family had served. I didn't understand that. My sister um, did do her time in the Marines, so I had pride with the Marines. But I never connected um, that kind of service with law enforcement as well. So I said, no, I, do I don't know what the divorce rate, but thank you. Congratulations to <laughs> us, too, you know. So I always had that also in the back of in the back of my mind and then um it was uh years later i think we've been married a while and um no matter what happened in our life ron always communicated with me and at some point i just had to do lots of praying and ask god to take away that take that away and let me just live the life that we that we have now not not be so insecure so for me that's a, a powerful message because 
two human beings mm-hmm. and, and the story of finding your way together and, and uh, the insecurities that probably come on both sides, mm-hmm. that's an all too common tale. And mm-hmm. and it's also, unfortunately, an all too common tale in law enforcement and military right. to uh, to not make it. Right. And you guys found a way to do it. You, you recognized each other as just being human and having flaws and you found a way to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking earlier, yes. you talked about how Communication was important, right, and right. you had to learn some things, and he had to learn some things. And one of them, you and I kind of have in common is, uh, you know, when, when you get upset, you just kind of want to step away, right. you know. And I'll be okay in a couple of days. A couple of days. <laughs> so talk about that and yes. kind of that transition. Yeah, so um, Ron is a big communicator, and I'm not. And so when we had our first fight as newlyweds, um, he went out. He was going out with my, with my. I mean, he told me where he was at and everything. That was also very important for him. He never wanted to leave the house and say he was going somewhere when he was going somewhere else. So he made it very clear that I don't want. To, I want to make sure we have clear communication. I'm like, okay, well, that's that's fine. So he left and told me he would be home early. So he called me at 10 o'clock and said, I'll be there in about an hour. So 11 comes and you know, 12, one, two. <laughs> a little after 2:30, he shows up, and I was just so upset. I just just thinking the worst. Yeah, yeah. ready to uh, aside from worried. You know, this is not what you said, and I don't want to have this life for the next 20 years. If it starts this way already, then it's going to continue. It's a pattern that's going to continue. Well, he didn't let me sleep that night. You know, as much as I wanted to go to another room, be left alone, he insisted that we talk about what it, it was and not go to bed mad. It took him four hours. Four hours. And I would lay down and go, and he would just follow me. No, babe, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about it. And I finally gave in on the fourth hour because I was so tired. And he had to have been tired, too, because he worked that day as well. But um, it also made me realize it was worth continuing to try, not just give up so quickly, because he gave four whole hours, right? Um, Not only that, but if I didn't see a change in pattern, you know, because we all have to make adjustments in our marriage. We cannot be the same person. We cannot, you know, oh, this is what I like to do. If something really bugs you, you really have to communicate and say, well, you know, I can give a little of this or that. So when it came to um, Ron communicating with me, I knew he was in the right and I was in the in the wrong and we should communicate um, with each other. I think I was going somewhere else and I forgot. No, but this was a great point. So let's flip the script. So you were on that side of us and said, no, we, we need to talk. That's important. And, and you stuck with it. You persisted and, and actually, uh, I mean, it would have been easy to give up and just say, okay, fine, let's not talk. But you didn't. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe in that adage, like, you know, don't go to bed angry kind of uh, scenario. And then, you know, obviously, I wanted to apologize. I wanted her to know it was meaningful to me that it, that wasn't, it wasn't my intent to make her worry or think I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. So, you know, I was just persistent in trying to communicate that. You see what happens? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm already going to get emotional. <laughs> That's okay. That's how he talks to me. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult, like, to go in the other direction because he... He when it, when it, especially when you say what you just said, it, it wasn't purposeful, right? And so that's what's going to add on is that he, after that night, he changed his pattern. Not once did he ever not call me, mm-hmm. it, even if it was two in the morning. Hey, I'm still here. We're doing this, okay? Because you do worry. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, honey. Go ahead. No, just got emotional. That, that's <laughs> yeah, okay. I was just just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. And so what you described as scenario, that's probably all too common. I mean, it happens in a relationship to all of us. And but it's how we deal with it that, that, that yes. is the make or break, is the difference. And, and how you just said you both put effort into it. You both looked in the mirror and you both worked it out. Safe to say that's the key. 
Yes. Absolutely. Definitely. That, that, that persistence and that commitment is, you have to have that. And that's endured over 33 years. That still happens yeah. today, still, and nothing changes. Yeah. Right. Maybe a little bit more freely because no kids are there to watch us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, no, it, it, it is the key. Um, but there's also adjustment periods because that was the time we had no children. That was the time that we got married on a Friday in McAllen, in the Rio Grande Valley where I'm from. We drove to Laredo to pack his U-Haul on Saturday. On Sunday, we drove to Dallas for him to report to his next duty station, which was going to be at, um, in Euless or Hearst, right Euless. in the D.C., in the Dallas area. So that's how our journey started, and that's how it kind of went up until... Um, he retired. It was con there was constant movement. There was constant adjustment. So every he would come home after that week, and at the time I didn't have a car. I wasn't working, right? But he had his job and his career. And he's like, "Babe, where do you want to go?" And I was just so in love. It didn't matter. I just wherever you want to go. Mm -hmm. No, no, where do you want to go? I said, "I don't care, really. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do." He's like, "You've been home all week." You're the one that's away from family. And the fact that he took the time to acknowledge these things, I did not realize were important at the time. As I go back and I look at my my life and why we did, we are where we at, are today, I recognize that it's all these little moments that he did in communicating with me that you're here, you made the sacrifice, I took you away from your family, you have nobody, you know, it's only me, and he gets to go to work and communicate to other people. So having to connect with other people is going to be something new to me as well. Um, but then we started meeting other Border Patrol couples, and that's what made it um, just a little bit easier to connect because now I had wife, wife friends as well, you know. So 33 years ago, you're living the mantra that we espouse and we and we talk to the trainees about today is that you have to realize your family is on this journey with you. Absolutely. They're they're going through this journey with you. It's not a one man one woman show. And you mm -hmm. were the absolute foundation, the rock, the support mechanism that that he leaned on through his entire very successful career. Mm -hmm. I, I was telling you earlier. So when we went to dinner last night with uh, with Chief Buddy and, mm -hmm. and and I it, as you guys are talking and I was sitting there watching you know you still sit beside each other which right. I thought was just awesome and uh, but you're still a couple 33 yeah. years later it's not like a a, a stilted relationship you're still there close and you're talking to each other and you can tell you're still best friends that's that's, that's it right there and when I talk about the adjustments you know we didn't have the kids then the kids came and um, you become busy prioritizing their life. So you don't really have that attention to give each other. You don't have the finances to go out and do whatever you want to do because you're already thinking we have to be ready for college and cars and all this other stuff. And you're living paycheck to paycheck. And um, I just know when the kids came, it was a different dynamic. And then his shift work, um, we, we didn't have that quality time, but I know we needed it. So I put them to bed early. <laughs> I put them to bed early. They were in their room by 7 o'clock in the evening, and they usually had an hour to read or whatever, but that was our quality time. It was usually watching news or maybe going out to the porch and having a drink there and listening to the radio and talking, letting him just kind of talk. And more importantly, he thought I was listening to all this boring talk about what was going on at work <laughs> <laughs> um, and kind of just let him let out whatever uh, he needed to. But that was our date nights, right? And the Christmas party, if we got to go to one, that was that was basically it. Because family was priority. So then when my daughter goes to college, all of a sudden there's only one kid left and he's working and busy and hardly ever at the house. And we find ourselves alone again. 
or yeah again and um i just remember thinking oh this is kind of nice my daughter's like it's quiet it's not as busy i guess you don't realize that you're going to enjoy that quality time together ron came home from work and he said hey can you serve me dinner and I was like, wait, I thought I was going to have my time, right? Because dinner was usually in the microwave or somewhere else because he would come home so late. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, sure. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, shoot, did he just become the baby again? <laughs> you know, but so you're going back and you're thinking, this is what, 20 some years later. And even then, you're having to readjust mm -hmm. and go, I thought I was going to get my time, but no, somebody else was ready to reclaim his time. Chapters and phases in life. Exactly. Yeah. So you make that, I make that adjustment. I'm like, you know, I'll give it for a little bit. <laughs> It'll wear down or whatever. And, and you know, just it, you have to make those adjustments in a relationship. So you said something I want to go back to. You said that he would talk to you about his day, and I also talked to the trainees about doing this very thing mm -hmm. because that's a part of our resiliency. Is right. You had to make a conscious decision to actually include her and talk to her about what your day was like, even though it's going to be difficult sometimes to fully comprehend the emotions and the feelings. When did that come about for you? I just thought it was important for her to, to understand, like, what it was like out there, what it meant to us. Like maybe sometimes I didn't want to be more open about it. Maybe I saw something that I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't ready to share right away. But, but typically we would kind of debrief the whole scenario, and, and she knew as much um, as a, you know, about what happened. I always thought that was important because she's glossed over it a little bit. You know, the, the kids are there, and when they're young and they see me going back and forth, they don't necessarily comprehend, the, you know, the, some of the stress that she goes through. Right, her. Her main job is to take care of them, but it, there's also this burden of like, hey, this is he's going out and risking things. You yeah. Know? When the kids would see, I got a couple of the stories that, that that they still tell. You know, I would go out, we'd be out in the desert, and I'd, I'd get a turtle or I'd, I'd find some kind of mm -hmm. thing to to bring it back. And you know, for a, for a couple of hours at least, or maybe a couple of weeks in their life, they thought that I was going out like like hanging out and bringing turtles home. Yeah. You know, they had no idea what you know what we were really doing out there. But I always, I always felt it was important for her to see like what kind of challenges we we were going through because she's my best friend. She's gonna, mm -hmm. you know, we're we're together regardless, right? Yeah. So, so I thought it was important to to kind of communicate that some of the some of the challenges, some of the fun things like the turtles and such, but uh, also you know just the range of it. So and when and even at work, the family is on your mind, and of I think that's true for all of us. And and for me, and I'm sure it's the same. They can be chaotic at work, and it often is. But if everything's okay at home, you can deal with that. It's when things Absolutely. are in chaos or disarray at home that you have a hard time focusing, and that's where things bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's an interesting, uh, you know, bringing home turtles, and because you're thinking about your kids, you see that, and how many people would just go right past you, like you know, I bet, I bet my son would like that, right. I bet my daughter would like that. That's interesting, but I, I think that, that that correlation of you have to have things that are, are are solid and stable at home so that you can focus and do the job. And that's where you, your role in this whole uh, Green family right. really comes into play because you're yes. sending you're sending him out the door every day to do his job. Right. And knowing that there's an element of danger involved, that, that, that bad things can and do sometimes happen, there's people that are going to be new at that, doing that for the first time, especially the uh, spouses of trainees. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what that's like and what they can expect. So this is something that I've learned throughout these these years. I didn't know it right away. I had no idea his life was that much a danger. I didn't know some of the risk because 
he is my hero. This is the guy that protects his family. This is the guy that, that is always there for us. And, you know, you're always going to think that he's going to be that resilient person that's going to come through everything, right? Mm -hmm. So when Ron went back to headquarters um, as the deputy chief uh, from the Rio Grande Valley, uh, he reached out to me right before police week. And he's, you know, this is our second tour in D.C., so we had been there before. And he called me up. He was at the office, and he said, hey, listen, you know, this police week thing happens. And, um, th and he explained what, what the whole situation is. The, uh, the surviving families come. Uh, then there's new ones, and then some, uh, some returning families. And we've always done this thing for police week where they come and they have, like, we have some food laid out on the table or something. And I was, I was, he always felt it was um, not as personable as he would like it. And he was wondering if I could maybe get some wives together and we could just make it seem like there was more a bigger effort put into it and the families would feel that there was that you know just a little bit more than this is just a that woman that woman's touch right mm -hmm. um and i thought it was a great opportunity for us to connect other spouses with um our fallen officers or agents and the families because i had never met a surviving spouse i mean i i just kind of took it for granted my husband was going to come home I know he thought other things. I think it was only one time when he was working the river and his partner didn't show up, but he still went. And I was like, I was fuming. I'm like, thank you, God, for bringing him home safe. But it, it's scary when they say something like that. So when I, I met, you know, I see these widows walking walking in, and we had, we made custom gifts. We did a uh, gift for them to take with them, you know, and it's from the spouses to let them know. Because the agents, right, you're there. You do the funeral, you do everything, but then all of a sudden they feel like in a couple of months, it's like they've gone through a divorce or something. No, no one's calling and checking up on them anymore. No one's communicating with them, and that's when it hits them the hardest because reality is setting in that your loved one's really not coming back. Right. So I always recommend that we follow up like in six months because, you know, it's a hard time. But anyway, going back to police week, when they walked in, I, I just I felt this overwhelming. Impactful. Sense of loss, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't imagine not ever having Ron. Was there ever times whenever you know he would talk to you about these stories when you're like, that, that doesn't sound that that's scary, you know? Well, that's when I, I I think he allowed me to have everything was focused on the kids because when we, we we both decided I would be a stay at home mom, mm -hmm. it's something that we talked about, and he said his mom was always home. Um, he would like the same consistency with the kids. We talked about moving around, and that would be the one consistent thing mm -hmm. our kids could have. So we both made that that um, that choice and sacrifice together, and he allowed me to to do that. It wasn't until I was no longer busy with the PTAs mm -hmm. and all the other things to the church and volunteering through them that when this when I did Police Week that year, it just really hit me hard. And he came up to me and he's like, "Hey." Um, I need you, this wife wants to talk to you, and, you know, I just, I can't talk to anybody because I would obviously start to cry. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking that they are living a nightmare I would never have wanted to live, and no, yeah. it was just, it blew my mind. And I believe I went home that day, and I told him I didn't realize that I could lose you that quickly. Um, I think there's an epiphany for all of us, and I, I, I've told this story before. You know, I've usually been the one going out the door, and, and, and I have both sons serving in the armed forces. And that hit me for the first time. Yes. Yep. They're the ones going out. Yep. I don't know that I could have done what you yeah. have done for these past uh, yeah. 33 years. That's Yeah, so um, that's actually right. So if we could tell the 
those spouses now, you know, the, the trainees and as they graduate and understand that tomorrow is never guaranteed. You mm -hmm. really have to genuinely enjoy the day that you have today. Is the argument worth it? No, it's not worth it. Is there like just communicate with each other and never leave angry because the Border Patrol agent cannot work a shift with the weight of the worries at home. They just cannot do that. It takes one split second for you for somebody for the bad guy to react faster than you because you're tired because you had this emotional fight or or whatever happened in, in your life at home you really have to leave the home life and when you leave home for work in law enforcement you have to leave it in peace mm -hmm. and we made sure that i made sure that ron always did that as a matter of fact i don't have a good reputation because i tend to <laughs> Uh, tend to stand true. up for him quite a bit. <laughs> but in Laredo, there's rumors, oh, poor Ron, he can't go out, or he couldn't do this, or the wife is controlling him. And I would feel bad. Just, don't worry don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Like, that, those, those, that doesn't hurt me. But they would call and wanted to talk to him, and he was asleep. And, oh, my gosh, I think I heard about, I can't believe you can't call Vitello. The wife won't let you talk to him because he's sleeping. <laughs> um, because we li literally had only each other with the kids and, and everything. But I thought his rest was extremely important because, you know, you've got to. But, that, I mean, what you're talking about, Nuri, these are important responsibilities. You took on a role as part. That's why the, the spouses and families are part of our green family. Right. You're doing a job. Just yeah. like the agent going out in the field, you're that support mechanism. You're making sure that he's taken care of. You're making sure that he's at peace. That was a great way of putting it. When he leaves his right. home in peace, so that he right. can focus and not have that split second of lapse that can right. get him injured. See, those are yep. the kinds of things that are on your mind. That is a big concern, and that's the best thing we can tell them to make sure that whatever, however you can communicate that that that's that's how they go to work, because a life of service comes within the heart. And it did take me a while to see that in Ron as well. You just, when you see the year after year, the passion that they have for the uniform, um, when you see them go to work with so much pride, and then you see them leaving your own house in a major hurricane to say, I have to go to work because he's worried about the workforce. He's worried about the community. And I remember at that time, just my the sense of pride I had that he knew he could leave me and I was going to be okay. And he could go take care of the community. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I can't take that away from him ever. That is his, that is, that's embedded. Like, I like helping families. For me, that, that gives me so much more comfort than going and doing something for myself. You know, it's a, and Ron's the same, the same way when it comes to his service to the uniform. As you said, there, today when you were talking in your, in your speech, you mentioned how, the bond that they have together as the graduating class, it's going to be a bond that nobody else has. And you're absolutely right. I used to think, wait, we're the family. We should be able to have it. But the reality is the sooner you understand what that bond means, which is not that, oh, it's a bunch of buddies that are getting together. No, it's a service to this country. It is a service to protect the community and everything else around and it's the constitution so once you understand that then you can understand why it's so important for them to leave the house even though there's a hurricane coming and you're you're in the kind of in the way of it too you know 
perspective. Um, right. Yeah. And so I want to flip back to the other side for a second because now we have a responsibility as the ones going out and to remember this awesome responsibility that our family has and the sacrifice that they're making to make sure that we're okay when we go out and do this job. I think it's easy to forget sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You take it for granted. Um, not, not, but but you know, over time, you you get enough wisdom to realize that, you know, the, the subject of like being at peace. Like she always gave that to the kids. She always gave that to me. It was always, I, I was confident that if if you know how this is, like you're the last guy standing on a Friday and they need a detailer to go to X. Mm -hmm. Like I was always confident that I could come home. I could say yes to that opportunity if it was or wasn't a volunteer or voluntold. If I got voluntold, I, I had confidence that I'm going to go pack my bag and she's going to make sure that the house runs the way it needs. She's going to make sure the kids get everything that they have and keep, and keep them safe. And I, and I could leave and go do whatever that was with confidence because she was always there for them and me. So was, it, was there a moment, or maybe it was from the very beginning, but there were an epiphany for you where you, you looked at you and said, man, I've got a good thing here and, and, and you know, I, I couldn't do it, with her. or at least I wouldn't want to do it without her. I remember one of the most impactful times is we moved from Tucson to DC, and it was very unexpected. It was it was after 9/11. They restructured the headquarters, and I was very curious and eager to kind of see how those blocks, those building blocks, were going to come together. And so we talked about it and decided that you know I was going to make an attempt to do it. And then we finally got it. We moved into a new community there. Uh, and found a church and a school for the kids to go to. And I remember we went to the first sort of mixer with the adults and the kids, that were, and we were new to the campus, and we were meeting people. And I saw her sort of work the room with the kids and their parents mm -hmm. and talk about how these are the new kids, and I'm the queen, and I do this for them, and I do that for them. And then they were like, a couple of days later, they were all calling her the queen. <laughs> And what it was was like it was like her way of breaking down this newness barrier for for my kids as well as their new friends, mm -hmm. and it was just a way for them like to get everybody engaged. And I was like, wow, this is you know. And now re recognize she's going to do this like four or five more times for them because mm -hmm. um, that's what ended up happening, right? That was yeah. that was maybe the third or fourth time, but they were it was meaningful. They were in grade school, you know. This is something that they're going to remember, and they have. They oh, have. Yeah, my daughter sure. just told me the other day. She's like, mom. The kid, when we went back to D.C., she's like, don't you remember high school, the kids? You just grew in different ways, but you still had friends there because we had been here before. And we took them to the same school system. And, and uh, she's like, Mom, don't you remember they were all more excited to see you? I said, no, yeah. They're like, your mom. I'm like, really? <laughs> I felt so bad. But honestly, that's a good point. We had to be politicians for our kids. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I was doing that, he allowed me that time. It wasn't like, what about me? Where's my dinner? Why didn't you do this? Or uh, he was always very forgiving for a burned meal. It's great. <laughs> it's great. And I know I knew it wasn't. But he's like, no, no, it's not that bad, babe. It's good. He ate the whole the whole thing, you know. But and now, um, you have, now you have a son that's a chef. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the irony there. Right? So uh, for the kids, you do. You have to go and negotiate, and you, it's just a little game you play to make sure your kids get. Um, get in the right classes my kids were in honor classes and you go to a new school and they're like oh no our school system's different than where you came from and no we don't do this and I think just one is enough I'm like no I want all four so you're in there kind of pushing and saying well I've volunteered so I know the teachers and it's just you know kind of getting them to feel comfortable immediately I always had a party the pizza party have all the kids over but it was basically networking for my kids to make sure they didn't feel isolated that they didn't feel that they had no friends 
um, because uh, I had to go in there and do it for them. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things, Nuria, I've, I've come to know about you, and I'm sure uh, Chief will attest to it, but you fight fiercely for those that you love. I mean, right. you're a family. Yeah. I mean, you, you're you doing anything and everything you can to make sure he's protected and taken care of. And, right. And same for your kids, and, and I think anybody would be lucky to have somebody like that in their corner, which is a good reason why I wanted to have you <laughs> on here you. today to talk about that. <laughs> So, and you had to you had to demonstrate that several times uh, throughout mm-hmm. your guys' career. How many times did you move? We went. I think it, I think we counted. It's eight times, mm-hmm. uh, six different locations. Six different locations in over th- over says, thirty. Years. The things that people don't realize that when you move is when you move from one state to another, it's a different school system. Mm-hmm. So your kids might repeat the history because that they do the history. All the different uh, country history is different to different states. So at one time my daughter repeated it, or the math is taught a different way. So it's different as we do mm-hmm. teach. It just blows my mind because shouldn't math be the same, right? But no, it's a it's completely. They're looking at the format. So you really have to pay. You have to be fully involved. Again, we made the choice that I would stay home, and for me it was like a full time job, trying to navigate through the different school systems at the different states. Ron knew if he wanted to put in for something, he didn't have to call and ask me. He could put in for it, and we would make the adjustments. Only one time did I want to go without. Did I want him to go without us? And that was when the Beltway Sniper was in D.C. <laughs> and oh, yeah. we were in Tucson, yeah. and that was our first yeah. tour to we, D.C. That was that was a, it was as post 9/11. Mm-hmm. There was the, the shootings were occurring as we were packing the car. To <laughs> get, scary time for everybody. To yeah. Go to yeah. DC. So I asked him, "Why don't you go?" and get settled in you know because we're going to go house hunting and it was all happening by gas stations and Mm -hmm. things like that and he said no he said no (laughs) (laughs) we're in this together right so he's like misery loves company right so um (laughs) luckily the church prayed really hard before we left and before Mm -hmm. we got to dc they had caught uh the person but um we it was important for us to always go together uh because i wanted the kids to see that you're supposed to support your dad and if we, as a spouse, are not the biggest cheerleaders, how are they going to understand it? And then what kind of opportunities are they going to take advantage of when they become adults and they see it, it didn't happen? Yeah. Um, their, their dad stayed in the same place or, or did whatever. And I, I share this a lot with my family who also called me when they were relocating and uh, some of the new families that come in and they're wondering, well, what's this town like? And back in the day, we didn't have that information, what the town was like. I remember going to Virginia and seeing people with the stick and the ball and going, what is that? That's the coolest thing ever. And lacrosse. Lacrosse. I'd never seen it before from <laughs> South Texas. My kids have to learn how to play that. So when you become completely involved in the community you live in, you start beginning to understand why the community is the way it is. So my kids were both lacrosse players in Vermont. They were both skiers um, when we were over there, and they that was so much that was so much fun. So in terms of tricks of the trade, and I, I think you're kind of you're hitting on it, but. For somebody's going to have to move, their family's going to have to move. It's, it's difficult. It's one of the Very major difficult. life stressors. But you know, the getting involved in the community, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone. Uh-huh. What other tricks of the trade or advice can you offer to the families? Well, now it's, I'm going to say it's a little bit easier because we do have social media mm-hmm. and we do have a support page for spouses, BPA, uh, BPA Family Network volunteer mm-hmm. support, and I. In there, you can say, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to go to Tucson. Does anybody know anything there?" And there's great advice that everybody else, "Hey, this is what happened to me." You kind of can read everything and t- take and pick whatever whatever you want. 
but the best thing is to find your support system within each other. Mm -hmm. um, as you continue to grow with the agency, that support system will, uh, you'll run into them in different relocations as well. But having each other, um, because we never had family, and I remember actually telling Ron I wanted to go back, I wanted to go home one time. So that's an adjustment in my life that happened when I, I said, I wanna go home. And he just looked at me with that love in his eyes and that also pain that hurt him that I said that, and he's like, babe, you are home. And that was an aha moment for me. Mm -hmm. I never said that again. I'd like to go to my hometown, go visit my folks or something, but it was at that moment, again, the adjustment in mm -hmm. my life, wherever he was at, I knew I was home. And the kids needed uh, to know that as well. We moved my daughter her senior year in high school. And, and I'm sure she was happy about that, right? She was actually okay with it. That's a, I, I wish I could say I had someone complained and then she went, but she was, we were in South Texas and it, I think that they knew the way dad felt about the relocations that it was almost like, I don't want to leave dad alone. Like they felt we, we, you know, we had to do this together. So that was kind of cool because I gave her the opportunity to stay with my parents. It's her senior year without telling him, you know, I'd figure I'd work on him later, <laughs> but um, she said no. No, I'm going to go over there. So I do tell a lot of the spouses, when you think of your spouse relocating, just pretend you're already a you know, grandparent and your kids are married and you, that you see your son talk about this passion and love he has and how he wants to try to do this. And then you see his significant other say, no, I'm not going. I'm not doing it with you. As right. a mom, how would that make you feel? Um, so if you look at your spouse almost like if this were my son, what would I want for them? Well, we want the world for them. You know, we want them to take advantage of things. And you mentioned my son as a chef, and we t went to New York on vacation. He hated it. Ah, it's so crowded. Who would ever want to go there? Who wants to do this? And just, it wasn't for him. He liked the open space. But where did he go work when he found the passion he wanted to? New York. Hmm. That's the best place to get your start in the kitchen, and that's where he studied. And... I was so proud that he was able to take that step for something he wanted to do. And I felt that that's what I wanted to teach both of our kids. My daughter was an au pair in, in Paris. That's something I, I was always wanted to do, but too afraid to do, to go by myself. The fact that she did it was pretty awesome. Well, probably because she had a strong foundation, both of them, right. to, to build off of. You talked right. about that, you're relying on each other first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Going back a little bit to the families that will have to move. So the communication, it sounds like it's an active process where you have to get out there and make the move to, you have to. to get to know the communities yeah. and see what's out mm -hmm. there. And you're right. You mentioned the, the Border Patrol Family Network uh, volunteers. Right. So there, there's different groups out there that right. are in orbit around the Border Patrol, not necessarily right. part of it, yeah. but they can reach out to and talk to other spouses, families, yeah. and, and kind mm -hmm. of get a sense of what they're getting into right. and, and make that adjustment a little bit easier. Right, but you have to make it for your own family. You cannot decide what somebody else is telling you. You can't try to be like somebody else. You've got to take in what somebody is saying, the lessons learned, right? And then you work with what, then you do what works best for your own family. And it's easier for me to sit here and talk about it because I had somebody communicating with me. Mm -hmm. That's something as I look at what some of the spouses deal with right now, they don't know a lot of stuff, and, and Ron did communicate with me. Now, um, when I was down, he was the first one to pick me up. He reminded me that my job is the hardest job in the world. And I mean, I remember just crying and being so frustrated, and he's like, babe, you don't get the certificate, you don't get the award for this, you don't get- Always in the background. Get to go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
not until the productive adults is that when you're going to see that. You know, you, mm -hmm. you have the hardest thing in the world. But he always said it was so very sincere the way you heard him talk earlier, and that was easier for me to. I mean, I had it really easy now to think about it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that talks about the responsibility that we have. I mean, it, it, we have to communicate. Sometimes that's an active process for those of us that go out and do that, and and we try and harp on that to the trainees. Easier said than done. Right? We've probably right. seen in our careers plenty of more times than not that that's not the case. Right, right. One of the things that she taught me, one of the things we learned as a couple, the wisdom, a lesson learned for me when I was in leadership was that, you know, the government does a baseline, you know, uh, employee assistance program, peer support. Those are all good investments. Those are all good programs, but they're really kind of a baseline. Mm -hmm. They're not as good as your family, right? right? They're not as, as compassionate as people, you know, that, that, that you love and that care about you. And so one of the things she taught me was if the agents are not uh, encouraged to share their knowledge about what happens on the job, about what resources are available, uh, connecting in other networks like in the community or with other agents and, and, and their families, um, then the, the person who's at home misses out on stuff. Absolutely. And if something really bad happens to the agent and the, the person that, that survives it, their, their, their surviving spouse, they're left in a bit of a handicap, right? Because they don't know what we know as agents about the resources that are available in the government or outside of it. And so one of the things we learned over you know, my time was that we have to have like this family network. We have to be able to communicate, like you said, in orbit of the Border Patrol so that these agents are encouraged to share these things, to, to plan ahead as it relates to their beneficiaries and their insurance and how they're saving for the future. They really have, that has to be a team sport at home. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, it's one of the things we learned. I, I learned it a little later than I wanted to in my career, but it, it, I think it's very important for people to realize that if they don't do that, um, they could leave someone behind without all of the tools that, that are available. So we're starting to touch on another topic that is specific that I really wanted to get to before I do so. Eric Aguilar, surviving spouse of Louis Aguilar, says the same thing in, in several times, every time she talks to a class, or, and it's about having that plan ahead of time and, and making sure your spouse knows. Right. It can be things, where do you want to be buried, God forbid, right. if something happens? Do you right. know where the insurance paperwork is? Do you know who to reach out and talk to for the benefits? These are all things that you want to have worked out and known ahead of time because God forbid something bad happens you don't want them having to go through the trials and tribulations in addition to dealing with your loss we've it's, seen it you know, we've seen the results of when it, when of it didn't happen in, a, in anticipation and we you know I was in a career you're in a career where these risks are real yeah and so you know everyone should do this everyone on the planet all couples should plan ahead for their family but in in law enforcement and certainly in the border patrol it, it's mm -hmm. it's much more necessary because the risks that agents face are real, and those families, you know, we know a lot of surviving mm -hmm. Erica as one. And that's the topic I wanted to talk about, and that is being in a law enforcement home. You alluded to this morning, this morning mm -hmm. when we talked. That's different than being in, in, in a yes. lot of other homes. Yeah. There, there are things that go with being in a law enforcement home that you might not find in others. You told a story this morning about Ron sitting you down and... and Take us through that one. Oh, when we were newlyweds. When, mm -hmm. Yes. So I didn't know it really, law enforcement. So Saturday, we got married Friday, Saturday, we're at the Lota U-Haul. It's the evening. We're getting ready to go to bed. And he's like, hey, listen, um, I need to talk to you. Um, I need, I need, and he pulls out this box with a gun. And he's like, have you ever used one of this? I said, no, not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, I need you to know how to set the safety, 
um, how to turn it on and off, and he was showing me all the stuff on how to do it. I really actually did not care how to do it, but I was thinking in my head, what in the world did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I still don't know how to do that, by the way. <laughs> um, but in, he was always preparing and wanting to make sure that we were uh, prepared as well. But you do have to understand the uniform. You just have to understand it. So, the, I mean, and that's kind of a metaphor, that story about, you know, just the uh, the weapon and, and knowing that it's in the house. Yes. And how to properly keep it safe. And if, especially if you have children involved or you have visitors, that's something not every household has to deal with. Right. That's just one of the many things. In not only that, you're going to find that when somebody finds out what your spouse does, they're not going to want to let their kids come over because they're going to know you have guns in the house. I've had several... Um, moms asked ask me and I said well Ron like I said I did I, when it comes to uniforms he took care of his uniforms before kids I took care of that the ironing the three lines and the whole thing after kids he took care of all his uniforms um, he took care of anything that was in relation to this person here so that I could take care of all the other people and myself um, here which years later, I, I realized that was a huge that was a huge help because I wasn't screaming and yelling, where's this, where's that? He always knew where everything in relation to his uniform and what he needed for work was that. I, I've got, we've got people in our group that ask how to shine boots or do things, and I was like, what? I didn't do any of He took care of that. He took care of it with pride. You could see him That's a there. Team, that's a teamwork taking place. So yeah. it, it, I worked in Calexico, California, and we have the New River. And then in San Diego, the the Tijuana River and something else. Coming home at the end of the shift, you, know, you may have to get out of that uniform in the garage because you don't want to take the stuff into the house. That's you know you're just you're filthy. And that's another thing that you know, a lot of households don't have to deal with. You know you have you know the uniform is very much an aspect mm-hmm. of it. You know how you care for it, how you actually get out of the uniform, finishing off the day in your home. Mm-hmm. Something completely different that that the families that are there have to understand why that is and what's going on. You just don't see these at a uh, at a nine to five job. Right. Yeah, agents bring their job home in very different ways than no. than other jobs, other careers. And working midnight shift, uh, right. and this may ring true for some people listening, but the tin foil on the uh, on the windows yes. to, to dark it out, and having the fan, and and having to be quiet, you know, keeping creeping the kids, around. keeping little kids quiet. That's a that's another thing too. I guess you are with all the new agents, kind of going to different locations, and whether if they're married, they're going to bring or have kids are going to bring that to a new hometown as well it's going to be if they're coming from the northern border it's a huge adjustment a lot mm-hmm. of people don't like it they want to leave and um you're you just have to completely fully engage yourself in in that community understand that this agent is going to the sector right mm-hmm. and they're still aren't they still testing there for so many months like don't they have post academy they have like, post academy so right. they, don't, they don't do the six and a half and ten anymore okay but they do do the post academy and, and so just being able to go through this is like an extremely stressful time because you want to get through that as well but then the new family is adjusting to why is everybody speaking spanish here mm-hmm. where am i living now especially if they've never been in a border community mm-hmm. it's uh, different but they are also the very um, welcoming uh, community that if you allow yourself to step out of your comfort zone um and Act, you know, you have to do that. You just have to step out. It was very scary for me to do some of these things. I didn't go in there with so much confidence, but I acted like I had the confidence because you. I wanted to do it for my kids and for my husband. To, he needed to see that I was okay. 
And if I was okay, then then he was going to be okay too. And there are plenty of nights that I worried that you know I, I didn't like this place or or whatever. But when you really start looking into, I've gone to the welcome centers for um, like um, in the Rio Grande Valley. You, that you know you go to the when you're new to a city. What is it? The, the welcome wagon. No, but the council, the chamber the, of commerce. Yeah, thank yeah. you, chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. Great resource. It may not be Border Patrol, but go to the Chamber of Commerce and, and read all that. I used to go to Barnes & Noble back, I don't even know if they're around yet, but they also have like a community thing and to see what different things are being done in that community. Mm-hmm. And I would take the kids to the mom and uh, mom and kids day out. Or if there's going to be a hiking somewhere, you go and you just kind of meet new people. But there again, that you're, you're, you're taking an active step. Right. And you are becoming involved. You're not expecting them to adjust no to No one's going to come to your door and knock on your door and say, come out. Mm-hmm. I want to show you something. No one's going to do that. And I had to, ex- I had to realize that because I really, you think it's going to be a different way. And it's not. You really do have to make that effort and, and step out. And it is very scary. But once you do it, it's great. And much like... Almost like when you're starting to exercise for the first time, it's it's tough at first, but right. then it gets easier right. once you start making friends yes. and getting used to the community. You adapt to the community, yeah. not the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about stepping outside thank your comfort you. zone. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and Chief, it's true in your career, it certainly is in mine. Uh, when you take those opportunities to go from Nogales back to the headquarters, or when you go from headquarters out to the field and then back again, when you take those opportunities for whatever reason, that makes you a more rounded agent right it, it gives you skills of adjusting in a different environment within the work setting and of course at home as well but it if if agents take the opportunity to go to a place where they think they can make it better uh try a different environment to work in um they build a set of skills in doing that and so when when a boss or, or a selecting official is looking at them for an opportunity they have a, a little bit more in their resume than they might not have had if they stayed in one spot one spot the whole time. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, God bless the people who grow up in a town, get a job as a board patrol agent, and stay there until the end of their career. Good for them. If they're happy, absolutely. Yeah. But if people want a sense of adventure, that might, might not be the way to say it, but if they want to serve in a different capacity, if they want to make change, um, th- those opportunities of relocating uh, with all the burdens that come with it is in a way, building skills that, that help the, the entire organization. It's a great point because we I, I don't want to lead anybody down a false path and, and make it seem like it's a negative move. Right. Because there are challenges that you have to deal with as with any change, but the opportunities. That's one of the good things about being part of a large organization, a national, international organization, actually, is that you have those opportunities if you want them. And all you have to do is just take yeah. advantage of them. And everybody goes along and experiences them. You talked about uh, you know going on this journey, and we were talking this morning. I don't know if you caught yourself, but you talked about you said our career. You, you know, talking about uh, yes. about yes. Ron's career. So that was also we, an adjustment because that's what he would tell me. Mm-hmm. So, he would tell me, as a matter of fact, when he was um, asked to be the chief of the border patrol, I got a call from him, and he said, "Babe, I've been given this paper to sign, and this is what it says." And I don't want to sign it unless you're on the phone with me and we do it together. <laughs> That's amazing. So so you saw it as it's our career. I mean, you both played a role in it, but... Remember, no, I didn't see that. That was all adjustments. Mm-hmm. So where a lot of the trainees are at right now, it doesn't work that way necessarily unless they're already law enforcement and they understand, understand these things. But 
it's really been a journey of working together to continue to grow together and understand each other through communication and then visually seeing him pull out that uniform and he when he put it on there's just more to it wasn't just like i'm going to work he never complained about going to work certain things happen but he loved his job and when you see somebody love so much what they do and you see that it's a service not only to it's like to people around us you know not just to your fellow agents but to the american public you can't help but just love them that much more because they don't put themselves first. They and put you can tell else first. it goes both ways. I mean, yeah. it's, how many people would think to actually pick up the phone and say, "This is I'm doing this with you." This is a, a ticket. that had to be one of the highlights of your entire career. The chance to be the chief of the border patrol 100%. and the first person you thought about that you wanted to share it with. Yeah. No doubt, your best friend. That's that, that's. That's an amazing story. Yeah. So when you talk about our career, and you also said something this morning, you said you have to be a we. Yes. Yeah. Talk about what that means to you. So I, um, I think I started to tell you a story this morning I didn't finish, and I think this is really important because we all have those bad days. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in Ron's, there's a couple of times, but this one really stood out to me because by then it, the kids were already gone, so I got to be a little bit more vocal. I was actually listening, actually. <laughs> but um, he was having, a, it was just so much, just this things going on at work that just didn't make sense and he was frustrated and he on friday he would uh, he was ready to have a beer or whatever like just unwind i don't know if we can mention the alcohol here sure. but um i came home from work and he's just he would have like a little ca a candle set up you know we're gonna sit outside on the deck and we're gonna listen to music and talk and he would talk about his day or his what happened this week or whatever and he's just going on and uh, I'm making a couple of suggestions well maybe you should look at this angle or maybe you should look at that because you're trying to kind of kind of give a different angle of whatever he's talking about so he can think and then a different way and maybe come up with his own and um, the next weekend we did the same thing and I'm like boy this is not good like it's really stressful at work right now so I knew I stopped everything everything i was coming home early my entire life was to make sure that dinner was ready for him that i was there because i could tell he was in this in a, in a stage in his life where it was weighing heavy on him and um i just wanted him to feel loved and supported at home so i remember the third time the third friday um we're sitting there and he's not really talking that much and I would ask him a question and he would just kind of answer it a little bit short and I'm like, you know what, I bet you, he was just, I was just, he was trying to kind of just vent and inst instead of what I've done all these years, which is kind of just listen, um, I was kind of, well, maybe you should just, and probably, probably giving him the same thing that was happening at work, <laughs> right? And I realized at that moment, you know what, I need to tell this guy that he's the best guy in the world, that what he's doing is amazing and that I am so proud of him. And, and once I started, you know, saying, you know what, you're probably going in the right angle or something just just to kind of massage that ego. And not that he has a bad ego, but, you know, you feel so he was feeling so pushed down that I wanted to kind of Prop bring him back. Yeah. And sure enough, he started talking again. And we had those talks for about a month and a half, maybe. Did you realize that, that was going time. on? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a it was a particularly stressful environment that we're in and, and it didn't seem like it was ending soon yeah 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 and he would put oldies music on this is important too because for us in our relationship now whatever works in your relationship it's okay but 
we like to unwind and we like to have a drink and we like to have music and maybe have a little bit too much to drink and dance and have fun. <laughs> but it's okay to get drunk together yep. at home. Sure. At home together. Absolutely. Whatever works for you. Um, but that's why he was like, it was important at that time. And we did, it was kind of fun, you know, kind mm -hmm. of going back to our teen years or something. But it, it was just a time that. I think I think a lot of times we say don't do this or don't do that or the guy or the they want to go out and party with the girls or they want to go out and party with the guys and we kind of party, wanted to party together and that was fun also. Man, so do you realize, Nuri, the kind of self reflection and awareness it takes to recognize that you needed to make that adjustment? Mm -hmm. There's professional therapists that wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> that's an amazing thing. It really is, and that's just that's all about being there for. For the person that you love right. the most, and you, you said it's not about massaging an ego; it's it's about propping the person up when you know that they need it, and that has right. to be something that's reciprocated. I'm sure you've done the same. Yes. Oh over my gosh. Time. Yes. Yeah. And it's gotten you through uh, a very. And I, I have to attribute a good chunk of your success in your career to having that 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 foundation. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. We, we did this all together, and that, there's no way I would have been as successful in any, in any term uh, without our help. There's just no way. So we talked a little bit about the law enforcement home, and then we've kind of given uh, the families that are listening an idea of at least what got you to right. uh, to the point of success. And a lot of what I've heard has been all about it's our career, mm -hmm. being a we, and uh, and the communication piece right. is is huge. I want to talk to you for a second about what the border patrol. And the Green family actually came to mean to you. What is it? Uh, what does it mean for you to be part of the Green family as a family member of someone who served? I feel that it's um, it's definitely. Well, I I love the Border Patrol. Obviously, um, I don't know if I felt that love in the beginning. It just seemed like a job. But as as I started meeting more people, and as I started actually taking the time to slow down enough to see with his eyes what he was looking at and to see how he was shining that little so that little gold thing the button thing that's gold and it was he you could he wasn't annoyed he wasn't it was so much love and just something like that you know and i had to rec it wasn't that he didn't love me it's just a different understanding that is he had so much pride in the uniform that many of are going to earn or have earned here and now the you know the class that you're mentoring as well i mean it's understanding all those little things that give you that sense of pride um and then you start meeting families and i think the biggest change for me for me in reference to this was when you when you, all of a sudden border patrol is in the public eye right you now people know what they do for the longest time they were kind of just doing their thing then president bush came and you know, we had to hire more, this big hiring thing, hiring thing. and 9-11 um, happened. Yeah. yeah, and then I was no longer doing PTAs and stuff, so I became more involved in getting to know our surviving families. And that's when you realize this is a, this is a lot stronger. We, well, first of all, as, new, as a married couple, we only lived in the, in the Rio Grande Valley for like three years, right? Rio Grande Valley. Mm -hmm. I had never been in my hometown, you know. <laughs> so when I went back to my hometown, it was the first time I had other family members um, there, and they wanted a lot. From me, you know, they have events or things that you go to, so you realize you don't have as much time to give other people. Sure. But that time made me realize how important the locals are to the transplants. Mm -hmm. So if you get to go back to your hometown, invite the transplants over for dinner. Sure. Yeah. Uh, show them some, something like that. But 
um, I started understanding um, that our relationships with each other is really important because I have seen some bullying going on and some people isolating maybe another spouse or another family. Oh, we don't want to talk to them or do you know who that is? And you realize that that wife or is usually going to go home really sad and crying and the husband's going to be stressed out or the wife, vice versa, whoever it is. So you have to be supportive of each of each other. And, and understanding. And understanding. Yeah. So when we went back to D.C., um, uh, we no longer had that big family Thanksgiving thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, it was just a bunch of Border Patrol here. Why are we all getting together? Yeah. Why are we not getting together and creating our own Christmas and our own Thanksgiving if we're all doing the same thing in our, ho in our homes alone? Um, now, we, we used to do it back in the day before, like, you know, you know, as you become chief, nobody wants to talk to you after that. Right. <laughs> it gets to that, like, uh, the chief Aguilar said once, it gets, it's lonely at the lonely top. Lonely at the top, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants so, to So, and everyone thinks you're busy, but nobody's knocking <laughs> on the door, <laughs> you know. So, we decided to um, open our house up and just invite everybody at headquarters to come over for Thanksgiving. Ron fried two turkeys. I baked two turkeys. Everybody, everybody bought side, brought sides, and we're all from different areas, right? So the different foods also is a way to communicate and, you know, um, say where did this come from? I grew up with this, and where are you from? And I think um, the first year was not successful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the second year we had about sixty people that that showed up, wow. and it was just it was a. That's when you realize that. Um, if we can try to get everybody to understand to that the green uniform, no matter what you have on your color. Uh, when I met with you in Laredo, I think someone mentioned, oh, you did. You said, well, brass doesn't really come visit. I'm like, what's he talking? What's brass? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't understand that. So when I understood what that meant, and then there's all these different languages based on what the uniform is and everything, who cares? Yep. You graduate with one uniform from the Border Patrol Academy. And if everybody remembered that one uniform they graduate with, then you're going to understand. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are. If you graduated from the Border Patrol Academy, that's your family. That's your family right there. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. And you know somebody's new. Welcome them over to your house. Let them know. I don't you know, know if, uh, if I could have said that any better, and that's a tough act to follow, so I'm going to throw it to you. Any okay. advice you want to give? No, no, no that, that's our family. That's the Green family in its, perfect, its most perfect form, right? When we all recognize. Like, one of the beauties about the board, one of the things that I'm, like, always impressed with, you know, you go from Station X to Station Y, you don't know anybody there. You start to, you, you know, as a journeyman, you're riding with another journeyman. In five minutes, you ask a series of questions, and... Each of you knows three other people, and some of you know. My cousin went to that same high school as you did. Mm -hmm. We all have this common experience. We all have a class number. Mm -hmm. We all started in a specific location, which was different, and we all we we share this common experience. And to the extent that that translates through agent to agent, the same is true for our families. Right? She moved a couple of times. We lived in Swanton. We lived in Rio Grande Valley. We lived in Laredo twice. And so when people came from out of town, we were able to share the lessons we learned. And then, you know, having having a group of people that you do Christmas with, having that are agents, you keep having a group of people that you do think that's that's our green family in its best form. Our, our kids to this day remember those moments the most. Wow. They love that. And then when they're when that family's moving to where you're moving to, they get so excited because the kids are coming. Hmm. You start building these lifelong uh, relationships, but it's important to be there uh, for each other. Neri, Ron Vitello, you're a gem. 
and uh, we're very fortunate to have you in orbit around the Border Patrol. And then every time you get a chance to talk to the families or the young agents, both of you, uh, the what you pass on and how they benefit, uh, it just can't be put into words. And I hope that can that continues for for a long time. We want to yes, we want to make sure that we are still helping and we still want to connect people. We have resources in different places where we just try to connect people with people. That's it. And hopefully that one connection will inspire them to um, do what they want, just to get them out of whatever they're in, to stay longer, to be happy where they're at, you know, because we, the, we do make that choice. Well, I hope you stay safe and I hope you know that uh, your Green family is always there for you as well. Thank Thanks you. for being here with us today. Thank, Thank you, Chief. for everything you do. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for another episode. We'll talk again soon on our first.